Hello, and welcome to this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. The Oregon Wine History Archive is located at Linfield College in McMinnville, Oregon, and is dedicated to preserving and sharing the Oregon wine story. This podcast will share these stories through oral history interviews we've conducted throughout the industry. Please enjoy these stories. And we are talking with Marty Club of Lake Hole today. It's July 14, 2014. So first, Marty, I want to start off with why wine? Why wine? Well, um, as you know, my wife's parents, Jean and Baker Ferguson, founded Lacole in 1983. And um, Megan and I met going to school, in graduate school, in Boston in 1980. And um, so we were dating, and we got married in the summer of 1982, right in front of Jean and Baker starting the winery. So because of that, we were very involved in the kind of the early part of the winery. And, but the whole wine idea was Gene and Baker. It was, you know, we were, I was just their new son-in-law. And, but I have to say, we, we both, Megan had grown up involved in all of their various wine things. And so it's a very infectious, culture and passion, and I quickly fell into it. Uh Can you say a little bit more about the particular roles that that Gene and Baker played in in, in Lake Hole? Sure. Um, I think the dreamer was Baker. Baker, um, he uh, came back from World War II and worked, I believe, at Wells Fargo in San Francisco. And, uh, or maybe that was actually before he went to the war. I'm not sure exactly which. Um, But he developed friendships with some of the early pioneers in the Napa Valley. Um, And those were days when wine was barely known in the US. And so someone into really fine wine, meaning the first growth of Bordeaux or the premier crew of Burgundy, could actually buy and drink the world's most famous wines affordably. That's not true anymore because the wine pricing has gone off the charts, but it was true then. And so I think Baker was kind of an early enophile in that way. And Gene, having married Baker, fell into that same passion. But Gene was the home economics major, the one with the chemistry background. Chemistry was not Baker's forte, so when they started the winery, Gene was the winemaker, and Baker was, I don't know what she, you know, it was a small mom and pop winery. They did everything together, but internally, she was the winemaker, the lab person, the bookkeeper in terms of record keeping and that sort of stuff. Um, Baker was the big picture, production, how do I get it done, you know, the tanks and the barrels and the layout and the getting the registration with a TTB and 
all that stuff, I'm sure it was all Baker. Okay, okay. Well, I know sometimes winemakers choose to establish themselves in particular regions because they're drawn to you know that climate or whatever. And then sometimes there are other reasons why people end up in particular places. And you've already uh, hinted at this, but um, you know, can you say a little bit more about what led you to the Walla Walla Valley? I mean, what yeah. led you and Megan in 1989 to you know moving here? Okay, well, I'm I'm going to back up a little bit oh, be sure. because. Um, Probably a similar or closely related question is actually the answer is the question I want to answer. Oh yeah, please. <laughs> um, so Baker, running a bank, Baker Boyer Bank, they were an ag lender and they loaned money to all sorts of agricultural industries. So they saw the early emerging wine industry in the '60s and the 70s, and of course Baker, being a wine person, was very, probably followed that very, very closely. Mm -hmm. And it had been his lifelong dream to build a winery. He, it, this wine passion he had, had created this dream of building a winery. And I think that they, you know, from a, you know, he studied the climate, the geology, and temper, temperature profiles in various parts of the valley, and I think that they, they knew that because tree fruits had done so well in Washington, the easiest thing to point to is apples, mm -hmm. that wine grapes would do well. And so Baker also then friended uh, the early pioneers in the industry, uh, Walter Clore and Chaz Nagel mm -hmm. at WSU. And so Chaz Nagel in particular became a close friend and you know, uh, of the two, Walter Clore was the vineyard guy. Chaz Nagel at WSU was kind of the winemaker, the experiment, you know, the experimental winemaker. And um, so they had a very close friendship with with the Nagels, and they would come up and do wine tastings and dinners and various things. Um, so that kind of led to. You know, Baker really had his connections out in the early pioneering part of the industry were pretty well established. So they started, it was their dream, they started LaCole, they started us down this pathway of producing Simeon and Merlot as kind of key wines, and we can come back and talk about that if you want, um, because those were unusual varieties, uh, but varieties that Baker thought would do well in Washington State. And Megan and I were along for the ride. You know, we would come to visit her parents, yeah. and it was a fam. You know, it was a family visit. But there was always work to do. So whenever we showed up, there was, if it was October, there were punch downs and harvest things to do and crushing the fruit. And then if it was the spring, they were bottling. You know, and it, it would conveniently they would schedule bottling, or labeling or whatever. You know, when we showed up. So. <laughs> Because <laughs> they needed the help, you know. So, um, so we were involved. Megan and I kind of got involved early on, and then um, what ha what kind of transpired was what began as a retirement project for Gene and Baker. They began to realize, oh my God, running a winery is hard work. It really is a lot of work. You're cleaning tanks and cleaning barrels and cleaning floors and moving wine around and finding wine and bottling wine and packaging wine and labeling wine and marketing wine and selling wine and you're, it never stops. And I think after about five years of that, 
Jean was exhausted. Mm -hmm. And so we had had two children. Uh, Riley was born in 1988. Rebecca was born in November of, um, I have to think about this. Riley was born in 1986 okay. and Rebecca was born in November of 1988. And it was right after that where we decided to move to Walla Walla. Um, I would be involved in the winery and Meg would um, go to work at Baker Boyer. Mm -hmm. okay. And so we made that decision, you know, really more for family reasons as opposed to, well, I love wine, I want to move and take over the winery. It was really driven more by um, our family deciding that the chaos of living in San Francisco with, with highly demanding jobs and two little kids wasn't going to work. Okay. okay. But then once I got here, you know, so people say, well, how did you get involved in the white? Well, it was kind of handed to me. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Well, so um, then what kind of research did you do to develop your, your background in, in in the winemaking business. Yeah. I, mean, I know you had a lot of experience working with Baker and Jean, but. Sure. Um, so my undergrad was chemical engineering. So that made it somewhat easy for me to start reading and understanding conceptually, you know, what fermentation science was. And um, we, being in the Bay Area, we had UC Davis on our doorstep, you might say. So I started taking all the extension classes that I could at UC Davis, which was extremely helpful because you were in a room full of wine people, winemakers. Mm -hmm. And so I met a lot of people in California by going to all these different classes. Um, it gave me just enough of a prep to feel somewhat comfortable coming into this and working side by side with them. And um, So you were taking the classes when, I mean, when you were When we were living in San Francisco, right. taking classes at UC Davis in the spring of 1989, we moved here in June okay. of 1989. Okay. I mean, is it something that Baker and Jean said, oh, this would be really nice if you and Megan came, or it was just no. something that organically happened? No, actually, they were, they were getting to the point where they were tired enough of the business that they thought about moving to California. Oh, wow. Specifically, they were interested in Zinfandel and Lodi. Oh, wow. And they were looking around to... Uh, buy a property and plant a vineyard in Lodi so they would be near us. And we kind of threw, threw it upside down by saying, well, maybe we'd be interested in being here. Because, I mean, that just didn't even cross their mind that we would leave our yeah. corporate jobs in San Francisco to move to Walla Walla. Right, right. And I'm sure they were probably thought, what are they doing? <laughs> Well, I, I know, um, so Lake Cole was bonded um, in 1983. You and Megan assumed operation in 1989. Um, yeah, prior, just to, get, to predate this just a little bit, uh, Lake Cole number 41 and Leonetti Sellers were approved at the same 1977 uh, Walla Walla County Planning Commission meeting because they were both, I've seen some of the records on it. So Baker was way ahead in terms of his plan, mm -hmm. but a little slow because he was still president of the bank. So what he was doing, he knew that when he turned 65, 
which I think was in and about the year 1983, that by the, the law, the whatever, not laws, but whatever bank regulations they had in place at the time, he would need to step down as president of the bank. Okay. And so this winery was what he was planning and building toward as what he would do when he was retired, when he was the retired president of the bank board. Okay, okay. So can you talk a little bit about your relationship with um, some of the other early winemakers and growers in yeah, so I, when, I, when we started thinking about doing this, um, I came and met with Rick Small and met with Gary, and they were at that time really, oh, there was a couple of others that were, um, uh, Waterbrook was making wine, uh, Casey McClellan, by 1989, Casey McClellan was making wine at Seven Hills. So there was a, there was a handful of people out there that were easy to talk to. And then, of course, the, the group up at WSU, uh, their economist, their wine economist was Ray Falwell. I drove up to WSU to chat with them because I wanted, you know, what am I getting into? Is this really gonna, is this a viable business? Because I knew that so far, it really, at that point in time, LaCole had not really been a viable business for Gene and Baker, but that's the nature of a, a winery, quite frankly. You pour a whole lot of money into it before you ever get anything out. Mm -hmm. Or you just keep pouring money into it all the way along. Uh huh. Um, well, I know um, in 1995 there were 11 wineries here, and in 2008 there were more than 100 wineries. Like so, so what? Um, I mean, what? Uh, I guess that that speaks to a certain kind of evolution of the wine industry in the region. Yeah. But um, what? How have how have things changed since you've been? here in part of Blakehole? Well, um, so I got involved in 1989, and um, it was a very, there was, as you know, only seven or so wineries at that time, and there was a lot of camaraderie, a lot of sense of helping you um, with this, that, and the other. We actually did wine tastings together to, you know, learn more about wine. It was just kind of a fun gathering we would do. And so in the early days, it was easy to do marketing because, you know, five or six of us would call one another up. We'd meet, meet at merchants over a cup of coffee and we'd have our marketing plan done for the spring. And as more and more wineries came on, it became more challenging and more a kind of an influx of new ideas and opinions. And it kind of got to the point where by the late 90s, it was somewhat out of control. And that's what spurred the development of the Walla Walla Valley Wine Alliance in 2000. I think there was maybe a year of meetings and conversations before that actually launched. Or maybe it launched at the end of 2000 and kind of really got going in 2001, mm -hmm. in the spring of 2001. Mm -hmm. And you were president of that for a while. I was. Yeah. For. Seven or eight years, something like that. Okay. I think from 01 to about 2008, or maybe 2007. I think it was 2008. Okay. But Baker had been involved in the establishment of the. Yeah, so Baker was involved um, 
with Rick Small was also Rick Small was heavily involved in the early application for the ADA, mm -hmm. but Rick had gotten everybody involved, right. and everybody was not a lot. It was you know it was a room full of a handful of people. Um, so Baker was involved, but I you know I believe Rick was Rick was the real driver on the thing to make that made it happen. Okay. And I know that you. Um, you're a board member um, or advisory board member for the uh, Walla Walla um, Center for Enology and Viticulture at the CC. And, and how do you think that has impacted the wine industry in Walla Walla, having that program in place? Huge. As with most things that Steve Van Osdell does, little ideas turn into big, big accomplishments. Um, Steve Van Osdell as you know, is president of the Walla Walla Community College, and he saw in the late 90s the potential opportunity for the college to help the industry by training young people, not only in, in knowledge and viticulture, but in marketing, various things that they would need if they were gonna go work for a winery, whether it was the tasting room or in production, or in whatever segment that you know they they had an opportunity to train people so and I believe at that time uh, Miles Anderson who was heavily involved in his own winery Walla Walla Vintners was working at the community college and so Miles was tapped to become the executive director and as the then president or coming on president of the Walla Walla Wine Alliance I believe he, actually Steve invited me to sit on their foundation board, um, which I did for 10 years, and ultimately I was president of the foundation. So I was on the foundation board even prior to the Wine Alliance. This is all coming back to me now, sorry. And it was the foundation that really financially helped um, put together the financial plan to launch the Center for Enology and Viticulture. And so I worked hard to help get the wine industry support to help shore that up. So it was a collaboration of a, a lot of us in the beginning, but I was definitely involved quite a lot. Okay. Okay. And I know you're also a member of the Walla Walla Valley Wine Growers Sustainable Trust. And so that's something I know that it was established in 2004. And is, I mean, thinking about the way to predate to predate that, you may not know this, but I was ten years on the Washington State Wine Commission as okay. a director. Oh, okay. And that started in nineteen ninety one. Okay. So my ten years, my last year uh, on the Wine Commission was the year I got involved as president of the Walla Walla Wine Alliance. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you're also um, president of the Washington Wine Institute. Right. So then I was a president of the Wine Alliance, uh, the Walla Walla Wine Alliance, until 2008. When I stepped down from that, I joined the Washington Wine Institute and became president of that organization that year. Okay. Okay. And I'm still president yeah. of the organization. <laughs> How do you have time to do all these things, Marty? I <laughs> 
Um, Just so you don't miss anything, I'm also the Washington State board member for Wine America. Yes. And have been for a long time. Okay. So if you, that probably is on your list. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Well, it does seem, I mean, that, that from reading all the materials about Lake Hole, that you recognize very quickly you can make good wine, but if you don't sell it, then that's not going to be a successful model. Right. And it's interesting. The wine business ha um, is an, uh, you have to wear a lot of hats, or this is the way I tell the story. You have to be a good farmer or else the quality of your fruit is not going to be up to the standards it needs to be to make wine from it. You have to be a good winemaker because winemaking process is, is, is kind of guiding the fruit into what it wants to be, which is a bottle of wine. But you have to recognize where, you know, how, to, how that guidance, you can put too much in, you can, you know, if, if, there's, if there's not a balance factor in terms of acidity and structure and fruitiness of the wine, you can make an unbalanced wine and unbalanced wines don't work out. Um, and then you, you're a marketer, you're a brand builder, you're a salesperson, you're ultimately uh, interface with consumers, you build relationships with wine accounts and restaurants and distributors, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And if you don't, if you fail in one of those areas, you will fail as a winery because you have to do them all right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the challenge in the wine business is that you, you don't just wear one hat. I'm not just the accountant. You have to wear all these different hats, and that can be challenging for some people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about your work with Norm McKibben and Gary Figgins with the Seven Hills um, Vineyard? Sure. Um, so Norm um, was a shareholder in Hogue Cellars. He uh, was a for former senior executive with Kiewitz, a big construction company. Um, when Norm finally landed and settled in the Walla Walla Valley, he, Art, Norm has this entrepreneurial engine inside of him, and he doesn't stop. And once he got involved, he first got involved in growing apples, and then growing grapes, and then ultimately that led to other investments, including, which you'll probably know and discover, numerous wineries and production facilities, and and various things which Norm will probably tell you about. But early on, Norm and I befriended one another, and um, um, I'm gonna tell this story just because I think it's funny. But I had found out that he had planted some acreage at Pepperbridge. So I called him to say, at that time, which was 1991, we were not making wines from any vineyards in Walla Walla because the vineyards were not, there weren't many vineyards. They were, there was only one or two and they were all small and they were all going to the two oldest wineries, Leonetti and Woodward Canyon and a little bit to Seven Hills. And so when I found out that Norm was planting grapes, I called to say, we, I'd like to buy some fruit from you. And this was the same time that the vines were being put in the ground. He said, well, I'd really like to sell fruit to you, but they're all committed. I was like, what? He goes, yeah, so Woodward Canyon is buying this, and Leonetti's buying this, and Andrew Will is buying that, and, and I've, I've, over, I've already committed everything. And I'm like, wow, 
So the next year was second leaf, and young vines don't produce really high quality fruit, so nobody really wants the young fruit. So I called Norm and said, you wouldn't, do you have any second leaf fruit? And he goes, yeah, I have a little bit. And so I said, well, it's, so he let me make wine, from, and I made one barrel of wine, and I gave half of the wine to Norm, and took the other half for myself. And then next, the next year, all of a sudden, I found I had an acre of Cab and an acre of Merlot out of Pepper Ridge. So Norman and I became good friends as a result of that. And uh, so we started talking about doing a vineyard together. And we were talking about different options and exploring uh, options. And it turned out then that Norm bought the old Seven Hills Vineyard from the McClellan Hendrick family in 1994. And, um, it turned out there was an adjacent a piece of property that was in bankruptcy and Norm was eyeballing that as an investment to expand Seven Hills and so he invited Gary and I into the mix and we all became partners in what has now turned into you know a probably the best known vineyard in Walla Walla which is Seven Hills uh, it went from its original 20 acres to about 235 acres today. So Norm and I have been partners in Seven Hills since 1997. And uh, the same group of original investors in that expansion of Seven Hills became part of the same group that expanded the vineyard development in the project now called Savane. Good. Um, well, I know we started off talking about family, um, and I wanted to ask if um, Rebecca and Riley are interested in the wine industry. I mean, I assume that when they were growing up, they were also pressed into service doing oh, things. Yeah. Um, so does it seem like they are... The glamour, the, the glamour of the wine business bypassed them because they grew up in it, and the idea of bottling just was not glamorous. Right. They had done that. Um, no, they both went through, they both have been engaged in some ways in working at the winery, working in the vineyard. Uh, Riley uh, did so for a couple years, actually working in New Zealand and then working for a winery in Woodenville. But his interest moved in other directions. He's now going off to business school. He now works at Baker Boyer Bank. Uh, my daughter though, graduated in wine business management at WSU, and she, she obviously was has an immediate opportunity, but uh, I think she, having grown up in Walla Walla, um, she was not quite ready to move back to Walla Walla, mm -hmm. and so she's actually going to work for us in national sales starting in October, Wonderful. but she's going to be based in Seattle. Okay. Which, given where we are in terms of our national presence and sales, will work just great for us. Mm -hmm. So Becca's actually going to work for the winery this October. Okay. And I have one more question about family-related things. I know that the original label was the result of a contest that Baker and Jean had the kids in the family do. Yes. Um, can you say a little bit about, about that? Sure. So um, back in the early days as they were thinking about their label and winery name and various things, 
um, they were going to have the, ki the kids in the local school district do artwork to be considered for a wine label. Well, the idea of, of kids doing artwork going on a wine label didn't exactly pass muster with certain people in the local school district. So they decided to do the same thing, but just with the family kids. So basically anybody remotely related, um, you know, kids, cousins, and that sort of thing. So uh, if they were in elementary school, uh, below a certain age, they could enter, and they were, you know, they gave them suggestions. You could paint the schoolhouse, you could paint, you know, bottles of wine, you could do whatever you want, and there was a $100 prize. So um, I was actually not, we were not here when that actually took place, but uh, Ryan Campbell uh, sat out front. His goal was to beat his brother, um, who always beat him at everything. And he worked for a couple of days sitting in his mom's car doing this watercolor uh, portrait of the school. And that was what was adopted that became kind of the centerpiece of our label. That original still hangs in the tasting room. We still love the label. Um, probably next question is going to ask, why did we ever change the label? We get asked that all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, that was actually a hard decision because it was really a fun, colorful, whimsical label. It had a great storyline to talk about. It stood out on the shelf. So from certain marketing aspects, it really had a lot going for it. It had a, people loved the label. They took it to people's house and talked about it. Um, I think the challenge was, as we grew up and became more than just a local, regional winery, we became a national brand, and even today now an international brand. And, um, you know, we're, we are known for making some of the best quality wines from Walla Walla. And so you want your package to really speak to who you really are, which is uh, one of the early pioneers in the business, high quality, always rely on us. And so out in the bigger national, international marketplace, the old package looked like, like it looked like what it was, a child's drawing. It looked, it didn't speak the part of a high quality, high-tier high national brand. And we knew, we knew all along, because we had bumped into this challenge with restaurateurs and various things. You know, we make a, for example, we make a Walla Walla Valley Cabernet. And I remember a, an exact, I remember an incident where these group of sommeliers from New York City had come to Walla Walla and we had taken them out into the vineyards and touring and barrel tasting and showing them the wines and they got, you know, really excited about uh, what was happening in Walla Walla and they loved the wines. They immediately recognized the quality of what we were doing. Went back, put our wines on the wine list and then, you know, so what that, the Walla Walla Cab is a, was a, $40 bottle of wine. So when you take a $40 retail bottle of wine and have it in a restaurant, the way they mark it up, it makes it nearly a $100 bottle of wine. Maybe just shy of that. And so the problem was with the old package, if you brought this wine to someone that was spending $100 on a bottle of wine in a restaurant and said, here, let me present this prestigious wine to you, they'd be like, what? So there was a little bit, we knew that that was a challenge. And so that also led us to 
design the label that we currently work with, which is the white label for Walla Walla Valley and the black label for our Columbia Valley Verano wines. Mm -hmm. Do you think you'll ever bring back the old label for any, any special? I don't know, we get that suggestion. Uh -huh quite often. I think for now, rather than say whether we would or not, I think the, the key would be, you know, we wanted to really get the new label, the new package firmly established in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I think we're getting close to the point where people don't ask me, when did you change your label? Uh -huh. You know, because uh -huh. it's been three and a half, four years now. Right, right. Good. Okay. Well, thank you, Marty. I will, yeah. I will pass it off. Did you need a break at all? You... No, I'm pretty good actually. All right. Unless you're going to be really hard on me. No, actually, uh, I think the beginning part's always the hardest for most people to, to get going and get comfortable, especially with the camera over my yeah. shoulder. Um, but you did great. So I am going to focus more on sort of the, the wider, broader identity of Walla Walla Valley AVA. Okay. And then also ask you a couple questions about Oregon, Washington, what your thoughts are. There is no right or wrong answer. We're just trying to, hmm. to capture sort of the past, present, and where we may be going in the future. Okay. That's good. That's a good place. Good thing to talk about. Good. Okay. So to start off, my question for you is, what is this region known for, if you were to market the identity? Hmm. Um, that is changing a little bit. But I can definitely say we're known for red wines, not white wines, and that that is mostly uh, Bordeaux variety red, red wines, but Syrah is kind of the new up-and-coming uh, wine. And there are certain places within the valley where Syrah is really more prominent. Uh, but if you just say Walla Walla Valley in general, we're probably best known for Cabernet and or Bordeaux blend wines, mm -hmm. uh, secondarily Merlot, and then you know third third line would be and would be Syrah. And if you looked at the total production of grapes in the valley, that those three kind of fall in that order. You might get a different answer from somebody that is totally focused on Syrah. Which is why we like to ask sort of the same questions because of course for everybody. It really depends on where their passion lies. Yeah, right. Um, and of course, the just where you are, land-wise and soil-wise, can make a huge difference sure. too. I think you're going to get a lot of answers from a lot of people, though, that uh, Cabernet and Bordeaux varieties definitely drive um, the heart. Is the heartbeat of the valley? Mm. Excellent. So for for this area, Walla Walla is perhaps very supremely unique because not only is it a cross-state AVA, but it's not like the Columbia where it's separated by the river and so you have very different climate and topography on Washington or Oregon side. Mm -hmm. For you, being in this industry and being in this area, is there any sort of discernible difference for the valley, whether it's Oregon or Washington? No. Um. It, well, there's, there's a little bit of a discernible difference in that the way the weather moves across the valley means that the southern side of the valley is warmer and windier than um, the, the area closer to the mountains, which is going to be cooler and a little wetter. 
Um, so that happens to be that the Washington side happens to be a little cooler and a little wetter, mm -hmm. and the Oregon side happens to be a little bit more on the warmer, does create a little bit of a different profile in terms of the fruit and what, what characteristics you see in the wines. But you know that it's indistinguishable in terms of where the political boundary is. It just so happens that you know there's a straight line across the valley, and the southern right. side is deemed Oregon. So, but uh, from a mar there's, I think the issue really is more of marketing and consumer awareness, mm -hmm. and. Um, so I, I'll just kind of rattle on a little bit unless you want to. Please, actually, that. that's sort of where my questions are going is. Okay, I'm going to rattle on a little bit. Okay. And then if you get tired of me, just say stop. Okay. Um, so I think it made a, it was a real challenge for early on for wineries that were located on the Oregon side because the marketing arm was the Washington State Wine Commission, which is a state commodity commission. Mm -hmm. And they could only really legally represent Washington State Winery. So someone on the Oregon side, and in the early days, while the Oregon had their own marketing arm, now called the Oregon Wine Board, um, their focus, understandably, was where their key wine growing regions were, which was the Lamette Valley, and, mm -hmm. and then a completely different varietal, which was Pinot Noir. So someone on the Oregon side of the Walla Walla Valley, in some ways, was in no man's land. Mm -hmm. And that, I think, also politically spurred the growth on the Washington side of the industry. So today, as you know, the vast majority of Washington uh, Walla Walla Valley brands are located in the Washington side. Mm -hmm. And there is a new emerging number of small brands on the Oregon side finally finding a place. And I think that's partly because the Walla Walla Wine Alliance clearly embraced both Oregon and Washington and has been successful in marketing the valley as one whole. And it's also changed because the Oregon Wine Board, seeing the success of a number of brands in Walla Walla, uh, realized that, that that Oregon side of the Walla Walla Valley was something that they needed to pay attention to and invest in, and so they have embraced that side of the business. So all the, those two market dynamics have changed that a bit. But it does still leave you a little odd mm -hmm. in that if I was to put Oregon on my label, it would leave you confused as to what we were doing. So even though the vast majority, Seven Hills, which we're a partner in, and our new Ferguson Vineyard, um, we have probably more fruit coming from the Oregon side of the Walla Walla Valley than anywhere else in the valley. And nowhere where you see us use the word name Oregon, because for us that would leave people confused as to who we are and what we're doing. Mm -hmm. have, with that last bit, have you run into any conflict with the rest of Washington State as far as most of your fruit coming from Oregon, but being a Washington winery, or is that sort of a non-issue? Well, it's something to pay attention to because I think that because the state wine commission could only market Washington wine, they felt it, you know, finding a, finding a way to represent that side of the valley was a challenge and so far hasn't been done. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think um, for us, it, you know, the AVAs are nested AVAs. And what I mean by that is the Walla Walla Valley 
is the sub-Appalachian of the Columbia Valley. And the Columbia Valley is the kind of the soul of eastern Washington. It just happens to have this arm that dips over into Oregon. And we solve that problem by just simply not talking about it. OK. Not, not that we intentionally <laughs> do that, but that's what practically has happened. Right. How, and you may not be able to answer this, but how do you see that evolving in the future? Is it going to get harder? Is it going to get easier? Mm. I think that um, there's very little in the Columbia Valley outside of Walla Walla. And so uh, other than there has been this growing region called the Columbia Gorge, mm -hmm. which has uh, vineyards on both Washington side and the Oregon side. But that's such a unique uh, climate with it being cooler that they have, they have a, really their own identity that they can focus on. Walla Walla is an exception because it's not only where there's been a growing number of vineyards uh, being planted, but a new, uh, what would be uh, a sub-AVA of the Walla Walla Valley might be approved in the coming handful of months called the, the Rocks District of Milton Freewater, I think is the technical name they're using, but more generally referred to as the Rocks, which is basically the, the old alluvial riverbed that came off the Walla Walla River left a very large swath of cobbled basalt river rock and that has become a very popular area for uh, vineyards because it creates a very unique style of wine, uh, particularly for Syrah, which mm. that is the kind of the one area, that's the one area in Walla Walla that's probably better known for Syrah than other varieties. But because there's new vineyards, more vineyards, now a network of new wineries, mm -hmm. growing number of estates. Um, that side of the valley is growing quickly and therefore taking on more prominence. And so I think, um, but you know, I think our goal is to hold us together as Walla Walla Valley. I mean, we are, if you stand, if you kind of look at the contours of the valley and how it's defined, um, we are part of the same geology and climate mm -hmm. and so the it makes sense that we from the valley we would all work together just you know the fact that some strange political line runs right down the center of the valley doesn't really impact us that much thank you that was a great answer this may be a silly question on my part but is there ever any hope of Washington and Oregon politically working it out where it would not be such an issue from a winery business perspective of, of not only the, the marketing, but also the buying and selling of wine across the state lines? Well, I would hope that they would work it out in terms of finding, um, finding an ease of facilitating, um, you know, Oregon wineries that are on the Walla Walla Valley side of somehow being involved in some Washington State promotions mm -hmm. would make sense to me. Mm -hmm. But that has not happened yet, and so we'll see if the political powers that be find a way to make that happen. I don't think they're, uh, probably another answer that's kind of holding it back is that when you look at the entire scheme of the Washington State wine industry, the Oregon side of the Walla Walla Valley is such a tiny sliver that it doesn't amount to, uh, it seems to mean more to us 
here in Walla Walla or to you from Oregon than it means to someone else in Washington State. Right. Fair enough. For the, the town of Walla Walla, we've certainly seen that with the wine industry growing and coming into prominence, that the town is growing with it. And so the, the tourism and the economy is rising. Where do you see that going from here? Well, I personally, you know, we are in the wine business. It's been very positive. From an economic point of view, it's been extremely positive for Walla Walla. Um, they, the Washington State Wine Commission had hired um, a highly recognized firm down in California to do an economic impact of the Washington State wine industry for Washington State and for the U.S. region. And based on some of the parameters, they, that, that turned out to be like, this was a few years ago, but at that time, it turned out to be like an $8.7 billion economic impact on Washington State and just shy of a $15 billion economic impact on the U.S. wine industry, or on the U.S. economy. Right. And if you use the kind of parallels and examples that they used in that study to say, okay, well, if we could hire and do an economic impact just on the Walla Walla Valley, what does the Walla Walla Valley wine industry mean to Walla Walla? The, the number we came up with a handful of years ago was 200 million. So that's pretty significant for the economy of Walla Walla, and I suspect today that number is one and a half times that, if not more. So it's pretty big. I think the, the, wall, the, the wine region, while we're not big employers of people, we can't really say, oh, this created this many thousands of jobs. It created a few hundred jobs. But the wine industry is highly vertically integrated, meaning we're farming the ground, we're making wine, we're buying barrels and bottles and tanks and uh, various other things. So there's a lot of suppliers that, that are providing economic input to what we do. And then we sell wine into a community of restaurants and wine shops and tourism. And so if you, if you, if you look at this churn and what it does for a region, that's how you get to, the, to these much more significant numbers. And so I think uh, the wine industry is extremely important for Walla Walla and for the state because of that high economic value it generates. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So for you, looking back, what are some of the most important things you learned? Or if you had something to do over again, would you choose a different way? Oh, sure. <laughs> um, you know, like in almost all businesses, you learn by making mistakes. Mm -hmm. And I tell people the reason we are good at what we do today is because we've made every mistake feasible in the wine industry. And that's kind of a joke. But mm -hmm. uh, the truth is, I think when we make, when we stumble with a winemaking issue, for example, we learn from that. We learn how to make sure that doesn't happen again. Uh, if we stumble from a marketing point of view or something like that, I think the same thing. So, um, you know, with now 30 years of winemaking and wine sales, um, as we grow, we're more out in that national community. We're, we're bumping up against the, the best wine producers in the world and doing very well. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, in fact, making some of the most highly regarded wines in the world. So I think we're all extreme, all, all of us in the wine industry are extremely proud of that and, and, and say basically we, we've barely gotten going. Wait 50 more years. Yeah, especially since wine regions in Europe have had hundreds of years exactly. to perfect and you've done it in a lifetime for sure. Right. Half a lifetime at that. Right. We went from being in 1983 from those crazy people starting a winery in Walla Walla to now uh, having won a trophy for the best Bordeaux blend in the world mm -hmm. for our Ferguson Vineyard. Yes, well done. So my last question for you, Marty, is between Melissa and myself, is there anything that we should have asked you that we didn't? Or any parting thoughts? Um, no, I just think that, um, you know, I think you guys have asked some really great questions and maybe keyed in on some real trigger things that happen, such as the Center for Knowledge and Viticulture and the Wine Alliance. Um, but really what has driven the, the, the large growth in the industry fundamentally is our great growing region and climate. We have you know, the soils, the dry climate, the sunshine, the heat units, the cool nights. We have the right combination basically to make fruit that is very balanced with high levels of natural acidity, uh, nice structure in terms of giving the reds, the, the backbone and the phenolics to make great wine. And so it's really our growing climate that has given us the setting to be able to now compete on that world stage to make world caliber wine. Thank you, yes, that's an excellent point. All right, well, thank you so much, Marty. Yep, thank you. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Oregon Wine History Archive podcast. And thank you to all the supporters, partners, donors, and interviewees who have made our project a success. Be sure to check out our website at OregonWineHistoryArchive.org for more interviews, plus photographs, wine labels, and more. And stay tuned for more interviews as we tell the story of Oregon wine. The Oregon Wine History Archive podcast is brought to you by the Oregon Wine History Archive at Linfield College. The executive producer is Kiana Anderson. Producers are Rich Schmidt, Rachel Woody, Stephanie Hoffman, and Camille Weber. And a special thanks to all the Linfield Archive students who have contributed to these oral history interviews over the years.